welcome to the sermon podcast of Orchardville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrchardvilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. I just, uh, it just grips me uh, every time. So, but thank y'all for, for leading us today. Um, I want to ask you if you will take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 1. We've been preaching through uh, the gospel of John, going through it verse by verse. We have completed the first 18 verses of, of John. Uh, in John chapter 1, those first 18 verses are called the, the prologue of John. They give us a sort of a summary of what this book is going to be about. It, it's a gospel of Jesus. It's a little different than the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But as we turn to verse 19, we begin to see uh, John writing a little different. He goes more into a, a narrative mode that we're used to in the Gospels. So I'm going to ask you to find John chapter 1, verse 19. If you would please stand with your Bibles open in honor and in reverence of God's holy word. John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do we say? Uh, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize you with, with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loosen. These things were done in Beth Arbor, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all you do for us. And what a blessing it is to, to be able to, to join with your people to worship this morning. What a privilege it is to tell others about what you have done for us. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for what we've been able to experience already today through the, the music and the giving, the offering, the Sunday school hour, Lord, for the fellowship we've already had this morning. We're asking now, God, that your spirit continue to move among us, Lord. I pray that you would continue to, to touch hearts today, Lord. I pray for conviction in the heart of anyone who may be here that's lost, God, that you would show them they need to be saved today. And for every believer, May you convict us to be more like you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, I pray that you'd move in a mighty way. And when we leave this place today, we will, we will say it is good to have been in your house. And may we leave this place more like Jesus than when we came here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. 
As we continue to move in John, as I mentioned, he gets more into a, a narrative account. He begins to describe the different events in Jesus' life that he was basing his gospel on. He is going to begin with John the Baptist. And what's interesting about John, the apostles' take on John the Baptist, is that he doesn't actually record Jesus being baptized by John, but simply makes reference to it. And he talks about the ministry and the purpose for which John was here on this earth. And there's three things I want us to notice about John. The Bible tells us here in verse 19 that this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. John the Baptist has been preaching powerful messages. He's preaching at a time when the Jewish people as a whole are looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a fulfillment. God has not spoken to them for 400 years. There is a fever pitch that is building. John, as he preaches, he preaches like nobody else does. He did not come through the, the, the schools in Jerusalem. He did not come through the university or seminary there in Jerusalem. He has come from the wilderness and he is preaching this powerful message and people are flocking to him. They're not going to hear him preach at the temple. They're hearing him preach out in the country, out in the wilderness, by a river where he is baptizing folks. So what happens? We have these people going to go out there and check out and see what exactly is he teaching? What is he preaching? What is he teaching? <clears throat> and what we see in John is that he was here to point the way to Jesus Christ. And as he gives his witness, there's three aspects of this witness that I think we can learn from today. The first thing I want you to notice here in verse 19 is that he's patient. He's patient when it comes to witnessing or giving a testimony. The Bible says here these Jews sent priests and Levites. That phrase, Jews, in the book of John, really the, the context determines who he's talking about. Sometimes it's just the, the, the Jewish nation. Sometimes it's the average ordinary Jew. Sometimes it's the religious leadership. The context kind of determines. And it appears that it's the religious leaders because they've sent priests and Levites. Those who are in charge of worship. Just what exactly is he teaching out there? Why is he getting such a crowd out there? You know, you can build a crowd a lot of different ways, okay? Uh, you, you can do a lot of different things. I remember years ago, uh, my pastor told me when I first became a, a youth minister, he told me uh, that uh, whatever you reach people with, Robert, is what you'll keep them with. If you reach them with a three-ring circus, you've got to keep a three-ring circus going. Amen? Well, well, John is simply preaching the hard truth of the matter, preparing the people. They've come out there to, to hear him. And notice they begin asking him all these questions. And notice what it says here in the last part of verse 19. Who are you? Who are you, John? And now they probably could have, could have done some research and found out who his daddy was, uh, Zechariah, a priest. But again, he has not had any formal training. Where does he get this audacity to be able to do this? And John answers him in verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, that's very important because as John is preaching at this time, some people began to wonder, is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that we've been waiting for? Because people are flocking to him. But what is John doing? Very quickly, he denies this uncategorically. He, he makes it very clear that he is not the Christ. Uh, John 
the apostle who writes this book, he goes at great length and detail to show that John the Baptist always pointed to Jesus. It was never about John the Baptist. It was always about Jesus. So he confesses that he's not the Christ. And then they don't stop there. In verse 21, and they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? Well, then are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask that particular question? Well, in the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, the last two verses of that book, the last two verses, the last word, literally the last word from God that was given 400 years earlier, says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. As they studied that text, uh, the religious leaders believed that Elijah would come back from the dead and that he coming back from the dead would prepare the people for the coming Messiah. John, however, says... I am not. Now, when he says, I am not, uh, it can be a little tricky here, and hopefully I can explain it without being any more confusing. Amen? Well, that's the plan, preacher, every Sunday. <laughs> John says he's not Elijah. What we see, though, in the rest of the Gospels, and even from Jesus, is that what John did was he fulfilled this prophecy in the spirit of Elijah. What he was saying is, I'm not Elijah come back from the dead, okay? But he is just a, a voice of one crying out, and yes, he fulfills that prophecy in spirit, but is he physically Elijah come back from the dead? No, that's not who he is. So he does fulfill it in a spiritual sense, but he does not, he is not physically Elijah who has come back from the dead. Now, if, if you remember, as we continue into the Gospels, there will be a time when Jesus will go up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. He will be transfigured. And while he's there, Elijah and Moses will show up there. I believe it's the real Elijah and Moses that is there. So even though he fulfilled it in a spiritual sense and in, in preparing people, uh, understand that he is saying, I am not Elijah come back from the dead. Well, they ask him another question. If you're not the Christ, you're not alive, Jesus. He says, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, why would they say the prophet? They didn't just say a prophet, but there is another prophet in particular they are looking for. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses said, God will raise up a prophet after me, and it will be like me. And, and, and many of the Jews uh, of that day and time took that particular quote from Moses, that prophecy from Moses, and believed it would be a forerunner to the coming Messiah. Now, what we know as Christians and knowing and properly interpreting the word of God, we know that what Moses was talking about was not just some prophet who would lead the way. He was actually referring to Jesus Christ himself. You see, Jesus Christ is called a king in the Bible. He is called a priest in the Bible. And he is called a prophet in the Bible. Deuteronomy 18 did not refer to some new, uh, uh, this new, this person coming before the Messiah. It referred to the Messiah himself. So whenever they ask these questions, they're trying to figure out who exactly is this man, John the Baptist, who does he think he is and what is, why is he baptizing like he is? Now, church, we see them asking three questions here. They're not through asking questions. And that's something that I want us to notice about John the Baptist. Even though he preached uncompromisingly, okay, 
Preach so hard and so straightforward that it will cost him his neck, okay? Or cost him his head. He, he, is, he is not someone who sugarcoats the message at all. We also see here that he is very patient with them, answering their questions. And when it comes to us pointing people to Jesus, giving a testimony about Jesus Christ, we too need to be patient. People don't always accept the gospel the first time we tell them. Matter of fact, it may be multiple times we have to share with them before they will accept the good news about who Jesus Christ is. I've shared with you before, I I worked with a lady years ago who told me that that, uh, she was a wonderful Christian woman. I mean, she was always such an encourager at work. And I remember one day she came in with a little extra uh, giddy up in her step. She was so excited. She said, I got something to tell you, Robert. I said, what, what was it, sister? She said, my husband got saved this week. He was so awesome about that. She'd been praying for that man for 20 some odd years. For 20 some odd years. She, she was raised a Pentecostal. He was raised, raised Methodist and they had a hard time trying to find a church they could go to. And their particular community had a community revival. They finally got a Baptist preacher to preach it and he got saved. Just a little denominational humor there. But he he got saved. But here's a woman who pleaded with God for over two decades. Every day. And so so sometimes we gotta be patient with folks. We gotta be willing to endure sometimes to reach them and put up with things. Here they're constantly asking him questions. One of the most powerful preachers, uh, that, that is living today, I believe, is Vody Bachman and, 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 and Brother Vody. I remember the first time I heard him, it was at a real evangelism conference. It's called the Move Conference now. And I remember him talking about, I believe he was on a football team in college, and he had a teammate who was trying to win him to Christ. So Vody, Vody kept asking him questions. He said, every day I'd ask that guy a new question. And every day he either knew the answer or he would study and come back and give me the answer. And then one day I ran out of questions. One day I ran out of questions and I accepted Christ by faith and got saved. You see, sometimes people will ask us questions and we get real worried about that. Well, I, I can't witness somebody. What well, they ask me a question, I don't know the answer to. Well, here's the thing what I found in my own life personally. A lot of times people don't ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. And even if they do, guess what? Just tell them you don't know. <laughs> it's real simple. Well, I don't know. Let, let me check in there. Let me study. And maybe there is an answer. Maybe there's not, okay? What I do know is that without faith, it's impossible to please God, Okay? There are some things we can't understand everything about. But one thing I do want to encourage you is to make sure that when you come to God's house, that you are getting fed with the Word of God, that you are taking in the Word of God, and then when you go into Sunday school, you are praying for your teacher that that gifted person that God's called to teach will give you a word from God and help you understand the Scripture when you get in your D group and you're getting in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is convicting and showing you the more you get in the Word of God, the more you're going to know. And I'm convinced we know a whole lot more than what you let on. Amen? If you've been raised in church... I, I was, uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to embarrass him. <laughs> I was talking to my son, and he has a class called New Testament Survey at his school. And I said, well, that's one A you're going to get. <laughs> he said, what do you mean, Daddy? Oh, that's one A you're going to get. I said, there ain't no sense of somebody being raised in Sunday school and church and, and Wednesday night not be able to understand the basics of the New Testament. Now, you may put on like you don't, but you better know what if not. <laughs> that there'll be a different conversation that we'll be having. Amen. 
But the bottom line is, you know a lot more than you realize. You may think someone's going to ask you questions you can't answer. You might be surprised at just how God will give you exactly what you need in the time when you need it. That's why we study the word of God. That's why we, Not that we can walk around with all this knowledge so that when God needs to, to show us something, we have the opportunity, he will give us what we need to answer those questions. I'm convinced of it. God will always give us what we need to be that witness. But what we see here is that he is patient with them. And we must be patient as well. And it's real easy to get frustrated with people and to write them off, but we have to be patient with them. But then next, I want you to notice here in verses 22 and 23, not do we need to be patient like John was, but we also need to understand our purpose. Understand our purpose. In verse 22, then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Well, we've got to have an answer for those people that sent us here. Uh, you need to answer the question because we came here thinking you were one of three people and you, you're claiming that you're not. So tell us who you are. And notice his answer. In verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, he quotes Isaiah 40 verse 3. He says, all I am is a voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. I don't have time this morning to really jump into the book of Isaiah, but the book of Isaiah is a fascinating book, how it's laid out. 66 chapters, just like the Word of God. And what we see is beginning in chapter 40 on, it talks about the, the blessings and promises and the prophecies, and it's just a, a fascinating book to get into. But what we see in chapter 40 is really a word to the to the exiles that were going to be exiled, that, listen, God's going to deliver them, Get ready. God's not going to leave his people without a savior. He is going to do that and take care of them. Here, John uses this prophecy about himself. He says, to make straight the way of the Lord. In ancient times, if a king or an emperor was coming, uh, they would, they would clear a path for them. They would make any, any, they would fix all the potholes in the road and all that other stuff so that the king or the emperor would have a smooth ride in. I remember when our, when the college opened up here a couple of years back and the governor came down to, um, to, to, uh, cut the ribbon and all that good stuff. Man, it was amazing the cleanup that took place on the bypass as you get there. Everything was looking all nice, you know. Uh, you know, if, if the president comes to town, there's going to be a, a big deal. We're going to make things uh, straight for him. I, I, my, my daddy uh, tells a story. I may have shared this with y'all. He, he told me when he was in elementary school that Dwight D. Eisenhower came to Moultrie. I think he was going down to Thomasville to hunt birds. And, and they let him out of school because the president of the United States is coming through. And, and it happened to snow. There was some snow on the ground. And my dad said, you know, uh, they, they, they lined us all up and, and made a clear path for the president to come down. And, and you know what? I hadn't seen a whole lot of snow. And what I did see about snow is that you're supposed to make snowballs and throw them at people. So I got some snow and I threw it at the president. <laughs> it wasn't for a political reason. It was just because he was a mean little boy. <laughs> he thought what you did was snowball. You threw snow at folks, you know. Went home and told my grandma. Grandma threw a snowball at George Washington. <laughs> I don't think he paid attention very well. Anyway, um, the bottom line is some of you may even remember that. But as the president came through Moultrie, everybody got out of his way. They wanted to make sure that everything was smooth sailing for him. And that's kind of the picture that we have here of John saying, I'm just here to, to make a pathway for you to, to receive the Lord. Just know who he is. John understood his purpose in life. 
That was the very existence for him to be on this planet was to prepare the way. And folks, understand, have you ever asked God, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Because I'm convinced that when God saved you and I, he already had a plan on how to use us. And I guarantee you, it involves pointing people to Jesus. And that's the only thing we can do on earth that we cannot do in heaven. All the eating we do, we can do that in heaven. All the singing we do, we can do it in heaven. All the fellowship we do, we can do it in heaven. But what's not in heaven? Lost people. You ask, why did God leave me here? He left you and I here to point people to Jesus. The reason that's the purpose by which we are here. That's the purpose of this church. Again, do we minister to each other? Yes. But understand, don't forget the number one goal is the Great Commission. And that is to reach people for Jesus. That's the purpose. John understood his purpose in life. But then I want you to also notice he understood, uh, thirdly, his position. The Bible says in verse 24, Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize? You are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Uh, They weren't listening, were they? (laughs) Too many times people won't listen. But notice his response in verses 26 and 27. He gives a fascinating response to them. John answered and said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loosen. John, they said, well, why are you even baptizing? Why, if you're not one of those people, obviously they have missed the whole context of Isaiah 40 and him being that voice in that wilderness, uh, uh, the crying out to make ready. And he says, I baptize with water. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, I'm just baptizing you with water. You know, as John would conduct those baptisms, we know from the other gospel accounts, people would come to hear him. And there would be religious people, there'd be soldiers, there'd be all kinds of people coming down to get baptized by him. And you know, we tell them, listen, don't you come down here and get in this water and go out and live like you've been living. He says, you better show some fruit of repentance. You, you think you're, 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 you're special because you're a Jew. Let me tell you something. God, God, God is ready. He's got the axe ready to, to chop down that tree. God can use anybody. You better show some repentance. You see, if all they did was walk in that water and walk out and think, man, oh, oh, I'm right with God, but there's never a heart change, that's nothing. He was just baptizing them with water. It's like when Brother Aaron's in the, in the baptistry pool and he is ready to baptize somebody. He asked them to make that confession in that baptistry. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? If all they do is mouth that, they've never made it, they've never repented of their sin and gotten right with God. All they're doing is getting wet. That's all they're doing is getting wet. But understand, in the other gospel accounts, John goes on to say, there's one coming after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's one far greater. In John, he says, there's, there's, there stands a, a one among you whom you do not know. I'm just here baptizing you with water. But understand this, there's one among you. Now, when he says among you right there, it is my own personal opinion that Jesus is not literally right there in the crowd. Because if he had been, John would have literally pointed to him. I believe what he's saying is he has already showed up. Now, again, this is just Robertology. I could be wrong. I believe that Jesus showed up about 40 days earlier. 
I believe he showed up 40 days earlier, was baptized, and he's gone off in the wilderness, and then we're about to see him in verse 29 come back the next day. Now, I could be wrong. That's all right. I'm not going to argue with you over it. The bottom line is, at that particular moment, Jesus was not there in the crowd. What he's saying, he's already showed up. And you do not know. And you do not know. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what John's saying? You better know. You better get right. The time is now. Y'all remember the very first sermon Jesus ever preached? Very short. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What it means is right here. You, there is no more delay. He says, he stands among you whom you do not know. It is he, John says, coming after me. Again, remember, John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. John the Baptist shows up on the scene preaching before Jesus shows up on the scene to be baptized. And throughout the Gospels, what we see is John saying, listen, I may have showed up here before him on this planet, but make no mistake, he has always been preferred before me. He has always been preeminent. He has always existed. He's always been more important than me. To the point, he says, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loosen. Now, uh, we may look at that and think, well, man, what's the big deal with that? Well, we, we need to remember that in the Jewish culture in which they lived in, when it came to washing people's feet and taking their sandals off, remember, they all wore sandals. They didn't have any socks. They didn't have any paved roads primarily. It was all dirt. When they sat down, now they didn't sit in chairs or sofas like we have. Remember, they're always reclining on their elbow. They had little tables about that tall that they would have food on, and they would lean that way. So what you have is as you're laying around, guess what? You're going to be pretty close to somebody's feet. (laughs) What a blessing that would be, amen? After they've been walking all day outside. So usually you would have either your lowest servant wash the feet before when they would come into the house. Uh, a Jewish man would never do that. There's a reason why when Jesus knelt down to wash the disciples' feet, it took them, it, it, it took them back. It was the greatest, a great act of humility as Jesus did that for them. They had never had a Jewish man. They'd had a slave do that, a servant do that, maybe a child do that, possibly a woman do that. And again, I don't mean to get you ladies worked up. I'm just talking about the the culture in which they lived in. But a Jewish man never would have done that for another man. And here he says, I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandal strap. There was literally a rabbinic teaching that said when a master had his rabbi, his, his disciples with him, that the disciples were to do everything the master told them to do. They were to minister to their master in every way possible, except loosen their sandal strap. And you know what John said? I'm not even worthy to do that. It shows he understood his position. He was simply a servant of the Most High God. He was simply a slave to Jesus. And whatever the Lord wanted him to do, he was going to do it, even if it meant humbling himself and even doing that, loosening his sandal strap. Now, why is this so important? Why is this something we even need to talk about this morning? Because a lot of times pride keeps us from pointing people to Jesus. A lot of times pride does. Why do we not share our faith? Well, we feel like somebody's going to ask us something we don't have an answer to. Again, that's really blown out of proportion. You'd be surprised. But you know, a lot of people say, well, what will people think about me if I do? So you're more concerned about what people will think about you 
for you doing what God told you to do than doing what God told you to do. Why is that? Our pride won't allow us to humble ourselves for it doesn't matter what other people think about us. Who really matters, church? Who really matters? The Lord Jesus. Who really matters, church? The Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Who, who, who really matters? The Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Everybody else is wrong if they're going against what Jesus said. Jesus teaches us to, to humble ourselves, to submit to the Father. He did it himself. Jesus and, and the Lord, they're not concerned about our happiness and our comfort. Over and over again, we're told to pick up the cross and follow him. In the first century, if you took up that cross, that means that you've been cursed. That means you've done something so vile and so awful that it would be an embarrassment. And yet Jesus took that cross up and he tells us we are to take up the cross and follow him. And we let our pride get in the way. We, we, we let our desires for what we want to do get ahead of what God's called us to do. And John said his very existence is to point people to Jesus. And whatever he had to do, that's what he would do. Is that the attitude we have? Let me tell you something. Boy, I tell you, uh, you know, the preacher can preach himself under conviction. <laughs> and he sure flat can study himself under conviction. I'm telling you, when we think about what we, how we conduct our lives, do we really understand the position we're in? We're in no position to do anything else other than point people to Jesus. And if we're not doing that, what are we doing? We're being disobedient. We're being disobedient. Church, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you. Learn that we would learn from John. John was, was patient as he pointed people to Jesus. John understood the purpose for him being here was to lead people to Jesus. And he understood his position. He was simply a living tool in the hands of Jesus Christ. And that's all we are. Again, it's not about our comfort and what we want. You know, we were singing the song, I Stand Amazed. And every time I think about him in that garden, and I think about Jesus Christ paying for my sin debt, you think about the most embarrassing thing you've ever done. Think about the most humiliating, embarrassing thing you've ever done. Do you know Jesus was punished for that? He was punished as if he did it. He was punished as if he did it. I'm telling you, it, it blows me away. And too many times, I want to worry about what I want after what he has done for me. Oh, my goodness. John didn't care. He just served God. May we serve him with that same abandonment, the Lord Jesus. He's saying, the reason why John would do all this, he knew that the only hope for people's uh, eternal soul was that they might be saved and come to Jesus. You see, uh, if a person doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, because everybody's going to die, when they die, they're going to be doomed forever. Their only hope is Jesus. So he wanted to, to preach Jesus, point people to Jesus so that they might accept him. They might see him as their only hope. And today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your only as your Lord and Savior, He is your only hope of heaven. You will never, listen to me, you will never be good enough to deserve God's grace, nor heaven, nor His love. 
You will never be there. Neither will I. That's why we come just as we are as sinners in need of God's grace. And we ask Him to forgive us of our sins. And we repent of those sins. And the good news is that He forgives us when we come to Him. But we must repent of our sin. That means more than just being sorry about it. That means we stop doing it. We turn away from it. And we turn to Him. And we give our life to Him. He gave His life for us. We should give our life to Him. And if you've never done that, today is a day of salvation. I've got sort of an issue with gout. Kind of hard to get around a little bit. Brother Ham's going to be right down here. And he's, he can handle it. Okay? And the Spirit of God, he can handle it. If you, if you need to be born again in just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. You need to come and take this man by the hand. His prayer ain't going to save you, but he'll, he'll show you and direct you that today, if you will accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will save you today. Admit to God that you are a sinner. Repent of that sin and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Trust that he is the Savior of the world, that he died on the cross for all of your sins, that he rose again three days later, and confess him as your Savior and Lord. Pray and ask him to come into your life to save you, and he will. And, and Brother Aaron, help you with that. Today, if you need to be saved, don't delay any longer. He is your only hope. All we can do is point you to him. But you have to make that decision today. If you need someone to pray with you, he'll pray with you. You can come to this altar and pray. If God's calling you to join this church, you can come to him. He'll, he'll show you what to do next. But today, if God is stirring in your heart, I pray you respond. Every Wednesday night, when we have our Bible study and prayer time, what we do the last 10, 15 minutes is we just spend time in prayer. We take a list of everybody who's been doing the Who's Your One campaign. And if you've given us one of those names, we've got that name on a list. And we pray for that list by name every week. We're praying every day. We want to be consistent and patient and persistent that those people might come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today there's somebody maybe God's laid on your heart you need to talk to. Maybe you want to come to this altar or on the front pew there and you want to spend some extra time with God on that person and he'll give you what you'll need to, to share with them. Whatever God is calling you to do in this invitation, I pray that you do it. Understand that we have to be patient, know our purpose, and understand our position. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for all you do for us. Your grace is so wonderful. We stand amazed at how far